settled into their new home in the Rising Stones, the Scions have taken to their new role with aplomb, gracefully stepping out of the shadows and taking on the challenges of the new astral era. But just as things begin to fall into place, twin trials fall directly into the organization's lap. An influx of asylum seekers from a faraway land, and the rise of a primal from the deepest depths of the seas. It's up to our brave heroes to suffer through the maelstrom and come out on the other side. I'm Nero. And I'm Jane. And this is Radio Free Heidelin. Yes, welcome everybody. Once again, we are back and we're here to talk about patch 2.2 into the maelstrom. This, to me, personally, is the first patch that feels like a real patch. Yes, it's it's real heavy on the content like 2.1 was i feel kind of short it it was it was a fairly bite-sized patch all things considered but this one really digs into the meat of its subject matter so to speak briefly on patch 2.2 through the maelstrom it added a lot of interesting things that you might not think about having been added in patch content at all Uh, For one, duty roulette expert and duty roulette trials were added. And so expert roulette is generally the highest level dungeons on a a rotation. Trials is is fairly obvious. And and I think it's because at this point they had enough trials that they would like, it would make a decent roulette, right? Mm -hmm. They also added glamours. They added cast glamour. Yeah, glamour glamours up to this point were not in the game. It was it was whatever you were wearing, that's what you had. They also added the challenge log, retainer ventures, sightseeing log, and most importantly, big fishing. Oh yeah, you got that big ocean fishing. Uh big shout outs uh to our friend Kenny the Fishmaster. And this also added, obviously, the war leader. Uh, Hard and Extreme, Thorn March Extreme, Battle on the Big Bridge, and also a few Hard Dungeons and the Second Coil of Bahamut. Yes. Oh, and and the Sahagan and Kobold quests, fittingly enough. So yeah, very, very meaty patch. Very meaty patch. And indeed, another thing that 2.2 introduces, and we'll get to this in a little bit, uh, I believe this is where uh, Rogue and Ninja was added to the game. Yes, I believe the next patch is what adds Ninja fully, because this like teases it, and then uh, Ninja comes that comes somewhere down the line, I believe. Right, right, that makes sense. So this patch, obviously, judging by the name and the cover, deals a lot with Leviathan, but it's not just Leviathan, uh, Lord of the Whorl. There's a lot of other shit going on in this patch. Like, a lot. There is quite a lot. Like I said in the intro, there are two major challenges being faced by the Scions here. One of them is, of course, a giant angry fish, but the other is a little bit more complicated. You can't really solve the second problem with punching. And that problem is we have a second refugee crisis, or I guess at this point this is the third refugee crisis? There's a lot, alright, so there's a lot of refugees. So the first refugee crisis was was Alamigo. Right. The second refugee crisis was the Calamity. Yes, and now the third one is the Doman Revolution's uh, aftermath, which is to say, you know, 
Uh, it, it didn't go well for them, so they, they decided to come over here. We'll get back to Leviathan once we're done with this, because there's, uh, there's stuff at the start of this patch that sets up the Leviathan things. But the most important thing that happens early on is a boat pulls into Vesper Bay. And a woman in a really cool outfit gets out. Yes, a big purple outfit, head to toe. It, she's got like some grass. It's it's like a whole a whole fun thing. She's got these funny little ears on her hood. What kind of what 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 sort what sort of person could she be? Ooh, it's impossible to tell. Perhaps someone who might be added in a later expansion, but they haven't quite finished modeling yet. Yes, perhaps. Her name is Yugiri, and she is looking for whoever is in charge of Ulda because she has a lot of people on this boat that need help. They need food, they need water, they need shelter. They've been sailing for a very long time. Months and months they've been packed like sardines into boats, and this isn't like... This ain't a cruise ship. This is this is some like 1400s ass boat nonsense. So these people are not having a good time. This is kind of the first one of the first big times we see like an inter- sort of an international thing come into Aorzea, right? Like there obviously there's Garlemald and there's Alamigo, but both of those are fairly close. Uh Alamigo and it is anyway. And Garlemald is just like at this point Garlemald the place is so abstract and far away that it doesn't really matter. They're just this kind of advancing force across the continent. But Doma, Doma is in the far east. This is true. Uh, Doma is far enough away that uh, there's really no familiarity with their people or their land or their culture for anyone from Eorzea. In fact, it's so distant that when Yugiri shows up with all of her with all of her friends. And she talks about why they're here when she says, oh, our plight is that uh, during the Garlean War of Succession, we use that as an opportunity to strike back and try to revolt and take our land back. And we were punished severely for this. Our lands were raised and we had to flee. Everyone just sort of looks at them and they're like, sorry, the, the Garlean what war? Excuse me? So, yeah, either the Emperor is dead or dying, and uh, as is is the case for any sort of empire, whenever that happens and there's no clear line of succession, and even sometimes when there is a clear line of succession, uh, everyone decides to to shoot their shot. And yeah, so they, they talk about how Doma has been an imperial province for many, many years until they they tried to overthrow it about a year ago and got utterly annihilated. Like, Yugiri says Doma was raised to the ground as an example to the other provinces. Yeah, specifically she uses the term, like, she she says that Doma was occupied by the Imperials, and that gives, like, Alphano, like, he has, like, a moment where he's like, oh, you said was, and he, like, has, like, just a little bit of hope in his voice when he says that, and it's like, oh no, that's not a good was. Um, Doma's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. The people on this boat are are both survivors from the revolt and also people who are related to like members of the revolt and therefore would be uh in danger in staying in in what is left of Doma. Oh yeah, no, they would be immediately executed if they were still there. Don't don't get it twisted. And what did she say there's about 200 people on this boat? Yeah, so specifically there they they took like uh, a few 
galleons, I believe she says, uh, or something like that. And each one holds about 200 people, and there are, like, several of these just docked out in Vesper Bay. Well, that's a lot of people. Um, so they're talking about Yugiri briefly in, in over in voice actor corner here, because, by the way, one another thing of why this feels so much more like a patch, there's a whole lot of voice cutscenes here. Um, I would say a good 60% of the cutscenes for the story are voiced. Yeah, which is, which is quite nice. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice change of pace from the last patch. Like, you get a lot of voice acting, a lot of pretty decent voice acting, too. So, Yugiri, uh, her ARR voice actor is a, a woman named Paulette Ivory, who is mostly just, like, she plays a lot of bit parts in TV shows, like uh criminal minds and young and the restless and stuff like that i didn't really find any other voice acting spots for her in fact she's not even listed on behind the voice actors because she's never ever done any other voice acting other than yugiri i don't know where they keep finding these people they just they just put out ads in like the paper i guess in japanese yugiri's voice actor is rina sato uh who who will play the character going forward uh she voices hayato kawajiri from diamond is unbreakable the the plucky young kid who who fells a a hand pervert serial killer um and she voices baby five in one piece and she is also the modern voice for sailor mars since sailor moon crystal interesting interesting she's been mars and all of the like recent sailor moon stuff yeah i i I feel like um the the english voice acting for yugiri is is pretty decent it's it's like pretty middle of the road i there's always that weird disconnect when you're dealing with like the domains who are explicitly japanese and then you get like a very like like high register like english british british voice coming out of them but um you know that aside i think that she does a pretty decent job with it um she's got she's got that sort of mysterious air to her that i think yuri uh should have realistically when she's being played uh how did you feel about the japanese voice acting i mean it's it's good i I, she doesn't really have much to do at the moment right like she's doing a lot of exposition uh, she is getting to do a lot of big emotional stuff. There's some of that when she's talking to, like, the, the syndicate. But I found it to be perfectly fine. There's nothing that really stands out yet, ultimately, in the Japanese voice cast. And I think that's just because the story is, as of yet, still kind of cooking. It is definitely still cooking, but the uh, the ingredients are all in the pot at this point, as it were. But hey, speaking of the syndicate, it's time to get into the meat of this whole plot line here, which is... Early on, we talked about how Ulda has a lot of refugees to deal with because of their reputation as the city of great wealth and also their generally centralized location, I think. Yes, they've got sort of a streets are paved with gold style reputation. So obviously a third group of refugees trying to seek shelter there is going to cause some trouble. Now, I think this patch kind of most clearly lays down the attitude that most Uldans have towards refugees of any sort, which is unbelievably shitty. Yes. Like, there's there's a specific point where, um, the thing, the thing is this. 
Ulda is culturally a city of people who believe material wealth to be the most important cornerstone of their society. And it's fucking, it's bootstrap city. Everyone in Ulda is like the kind of guy who will say, I don't want to, nobody should get handouts. You got to work to eat, yada, yada. You've seen these guys on fucking Facebook before. It's a whole city of those guys. It is. It is. It's a fundamental part of a lot of the ideology floating around. In fact, to the point that the sort of opposition to the Sultana and her, like, government, they're, they're called the Monetarists. Yes. They're literally, they, they are literally named after money. So you find Yugiri being turned away by the Sultan Sworn at the gate. Alphano, uh, being the world's most well-connected 14-year-old, does get her a, an audience with the Sultan, uh, the Sultana, rather, after hearing her her story in the quicksands, which I ha- I must say I must say about Alphano, because this is the only portion of the of the story he's in for this patch, just sort of unbearably smug right now about how how good he is at this. Oh yeah, he's so fucking smarmy. He's so up his own ass. Like the thing is, it's kind of brilliant, right? Like okay. When I was playing through this game the first time, and I've said this like four times already, but I'm going to say it again, uh, I really hated this little shit because he is a little shit for so much of the game. And it's, it's, it's like brilliant because like you look at this and it's like, yeah, if you were a nerd ass 14 year old boy and you were put for whatever reason in a position of major political importance and you could just get on the cell phone and go call up the president and like talk to him like hey you know it's me it's your pal like of course you're gonna be full of shit of course you're gonna be up your own ass are you kidding me you're like the most important kid in school he's a boy genius who graduated college at like 13 or whatever so yeah i mean he's he's gonna have this inflated ego and as we see, not a really kind of unrealistic expectation of how far that ability will take him because Yugiri goes before the syndicate and obviously Raban is on their side because he's a good guy. And importantly, one thing about Raban that I always find interesting is that he's really the only person on the syndicate who actually embodies the ideals that old Don's hold so highly, right? Because he's the only one who got there because he literally bled for that money, right? He, like, he fought through the gladiator pits to become the top fighter and rise to these ranks and, like, found the immortal flames. The rest of these guys are fucking CEOs or royalty. Yeah, literally. Like, Raubon is... You know, he he finds himself in a very unfortunate position, which is that he's a he's a token like successful minority. Yeah, he is an Alamegan who literally became a gladiator and then bought his freedom and like became the general of the army. And you know, it's 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 a success that is so double you know double bladed here. It's 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 
it's so like it cuts both ways really hard because yes like he did succeed but like he's also the kind of guy that you know like Lollerito or anybody else like points to and is like oh well you know he's different he's the exception you know not every Alamegan can can do this you know they're all like mostly just criminals and dirty but this guy now this guy is great you know like he he finds himself in that really unfortunate position where he's like being used for both sides of every argument and he knows it and he hates it he hates basically everybody on the syndicate um except for the sultana obviously so the two sides are basically represented by two different people both of them are lalafell and both of them are tr- no teleji isn't a traitor he he runs like a casino I don't really know what the Platinum Mirage... The Platinum Mirage is like an entertainment venue, but that could mean anything. Yeah, I don't remember what the Platinum Mirage actually is. It's probably like the... Okay, so you know how there's like the, the, the hotels and the casinos on the Strip in Las Vegas? Yeah. And then you go off Strip and you get all the weird rundown ones, like the fucking Golden Nugget or whatever? Right, right. The Golden Saucer is on the Strip, and the Platinum Mirage is off Strip. Yeah, that makes sense to me. But so, yeah, so Teleji Adelaide is the person who is in favor of, of letting the Domans in. Yeah. Uh, and, and the deal is that, obviously... So one, one thing about the framing of this... And this is a framing that will come up repeatedly throughout uh, storylines like this and others. Is this sort of like the kind of good refugee thing? Or like, oh, they're gonna work. They're gonna they're gonna work for their their food and shelter or whatever. They're gonna do labor, which is the way the way that they solve it in this patch still kind of is that, but it's in a more interesting way than they do in the future, um, where it feels more egalitarian due to the kind of area they end up in yeah but it's still this it's still this idea of you have to you gotta you gotta work for it everyone has to do their part part and it's like there you know there's i think that obviously i am more in line with let the refugees in and give them assistance no matter if they can be quote-unquote productive members of society or not well, yeah, but unfortunately, this the the Uldans are not really not really on that on that situation. Like even Teleji, who is more or less on board with the idea of bringing the refugees in, this isn't out of the kindness of his heart. He's not being like a generous guy or whatever. The reason that he's doing it is because he sees profit in this. Like Alphano even like points it out very like obviously, but like he very much is like, oh, well, you know, if they want to work, I have no problem with, uh, you know, we can make them just rebuild all of the rundown parts of the city that haven't like been touched since the calamity. They can just rebuild that and live there. It's great. So Teleji Adelegi voice actor notes in English. He is voiced by Joe Ackman who has voiced like a fuck ton of Digimon in the dubs. Um, he is also the dub voice of Will A. Zappelli in part one of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, and he's, and the, this is a, this is a credit that I chose for me personally. He is Solon in Fire Emblem Three Houses. Interesting. He's one of the, he's one of the weird, gooey, evil wizards. Um, meanwhile... His Japanese voice is Taketora, another uh, mononym. There are a few of those on the cast. Uh, who 
he he has been the voice of Akuma since Street Fighter 4 or Goki in Japan. Every single Akuma appearance since Street Fighter 4, he has been the Japanese voice of. Uh, he is also Manfred von Karma in the Ace Attorney games. And he dubbed like six Ben 10 aliens in the Japanese dub of Ben 10. Huh. Interesting. So some interesting credits for Teleji here. Uh, and yes, yeah, so, so Teleji's basic setup is I want to hire these people. The opposition is from one Lord Lollarito. The head of the East Aldenard Trading Company and a general huge piece of shit. Look, anytime you hear the words blank blank trading company like nine times out of ten they're up to some really fucked up shit oh oh for sure um and he is no exception so lolorito basically just goes on like a racist facebook uncle tirade like he every every single reason you could think one of these guys would reject a refugee lolorito just basically lists them out he's like ah well uh they're bad for business because they're unruly and and lazy and poor and ugly and i mean look at how the alamegan refugees in the city are just fucking shitting up the place like yada yada they drove up the crime rate haven't you seen those reports like he literally says that it's extremely on the nose hey teleji didn't you hire a bunch of alamegan refugees to work at the platinum mirage and now it fucking sucks and all your profits are down because they suck yeah it's it's very very like in your face about it in this patch he also he also makes the like the the thing of like oh well we're not made of money and Nanamo's like well we kind of are like we don't have infinite money but like helping these people wouldn't really train us dry yeah um but obviously the whole thing with this is that Nanamo cannot do anything if the syndicate does not like okay it um and they don't they they vote and and Lolorito's faction outvotes them like the only people they vote by like whoever whoever votes against just leaves the chamber which i think is interesting um and everyone but but nanamo raubon and teleji all leave yeah and uh that's that's sort of where it stands right like everyone's like oh you know we're really sorry but like we can't actually do anything without all of these fucking bitches being on side and yuri's like uh well all right well i guess we're getting back on the boats everybody but don't worry don't worry we have a boy genius here and he's gonna help real quick important lolorito voice notes his fucking english voice actor is cam clark who is of course liquid snake he is also the the dub voice for canada and the original akira dub and he plays simba in any disney project where matthew broderick is not available interesting interesting also gay he's also gay cam clark is great i don't know what did you think about his lolorito i it's interesting right like i think that the english lolorito is okay uh but i'm also really not that into the japanese lolorito either so like i I feel like both are pretty middle of the road so i might not i don't know why you're not super into the japanese voice for lolorito i looked him up his name is Hisashi Izumi, and almost all of his credits were either minor characters in various animes, not even, like, big animes, like Naruto or whatever, just, like, minor characters in fucking, I don't know, magical, a certain magical railgun or whatever. Um, 
and then he did a fuck ton of like he does a fuck ton of dub work for american cartoons he is he he does dub work for avengers earth's mightiest heroes for a lot of pixar stuff and also those barbie cg movies oh well that's unfortunate so uh that's his yeah not exactly the super prestigious catalog of work but yeah loria is fine in japanese but i think cam clark brings the energy you need to it japanese little really is just a guy you know yeah this is true i think and i do want to backtrack just very slightly onto teleji's voice uh i think teleji's voice in japanese also pretty middle of the road his voice in english is fucking crazy yeah oh, he's, it's he's, amazing he's got like this kind of voice doesn't he yes he does like there's there in in the near future of this podcast there will be several cutscenes that play in sequence and let me tell you <laughs> there's a couple of lines he has in that that are just so unbelievably over the top and amazing that guy chews up the scenery yeah so yes alphano has a big uh, he's got a he's a big boy with a big brain he's got a big idea um because i think so i think it's it's Rauban who goes like well we probably shouldn't call gradania or limsa either because they don't have their shit together any more than old and we know how gradania feels about refugees yeah gradania's gonna fucking feed you to the tree spirits if you try it they ask they ask the trees and if you say no if they say no or they don't say anything, then you just like, you, sorry, we can't do anything for you. Sit here and starve, I guess. Yeah, the tree, the trees call you a slur, and then they're like, oh, well, we can't do anything. Our hands are tied. Meanwhile, Limsa is like constantly having the worst time ever because they have like two separate mini wars going on plus also the pirates are like constantly undermining the government yeah they've got a lot of they've got a lot of problems going on uh but alphano knows a place that doesn't have any fucking like weird shit going on at the moment well they do but it's normal over there yeah he makes a suggestion of taking the domains to revenant's toll in mordona Yes, and uh, this would work out fairly well because uh, Revenant's Toll, it's not a city-state. It doesn't really have that central of a government. It's mostly just, like, frontiersmen and adventurers and that sort of thing. Um, That's, you know, that's an upside. The downside, of course, is that it's a frontier town, so the resources are limited, and there's basically you're going to have to do a lot of pretty rough manual labor um, and do a lot of uh, that sort of thing to kind of build the town up and, like, build yourself a bunch of places to live and that sort of thing. So they don't exactly have a great time ahead of them. And the thing that's worth bearing in mind is these are mostly people who have just spent the past, like, nine months, again, crammed like sardines in a bunch of damp wooden boxes. So, like... Their health isn't super awesome, so you like they're not all they're not walking on foot to Mordona. You kind of got to set up like a whole like staggered thing where you're gonna get like like carriages to take people over there, and the people who are too sick and weak to do anything have to like have some place to stay while they like recover enough to even travel. 
It's like a, it's a whole mess, but thankfully, between the friends you've made, you know, Mamodi over at the Quicksands. Mamodi is the third good person in Ulda. It's, it's Nanamo, Raban, and Mamodi. That's it. Literally, literally. Mamodi is like, she is such a bro. She's so awesome. Like, she's, she is always here for you. There's a really funny bit, actually, when you, you ask her for help, and she's like, oh, by the way, incidentally, um, we just, like, happened to have, like, an entire banquet's worth of food that some rich assholes had us get for them, and they paid for the whole thing, and then they decided to fuck off and not have it, so you can just have it. I wanted to bring this up. I wanted to bring this part up. Because this is this is what part of the ones because like obviously the monetarists don't give a fuck about refugees that's obvious right, but this part is where you see like just just sort of regular people and all the I guess they are merchants so they probably have some kind of wealth but they aren't like rich like fucking Lolorito is but you go to the you have this letter from Emotes to 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 get this stuff ready to feed these fucking people. And all of them are doing the fucking Morton Joe thing of like you sh- don't 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 you shouldn't feed these fucking people are going to be expecting handouts. Are you kidding me? Yeah, literally. Like one of the like one of them is like is like oh don't you, you can't start with these people. They're always asked for more. And another guy's like oh you know if if you can't work for you for your food then you don't deserve a crust of bread. You should starve to death. And it's like damn, fall in a hole. Yeah, there's like. There's a lot of shit like that. There's a lot that Raban says, like, yeah, all the sense of unity that happened, like, during the fucking Garlean invasion and the, and the Calamity, all that shit's gone. We're just going back to old Lolda and fucking eating people up. There's a bit where Lolorito, like, throws Nanamo's decision to not accept the, the Alamegan refugees at her face. When, like, probably you couldn't handle them at that point, because that was, by the time they were coming there, it was it was very shortly pre- or post-Calamity. Then, Teleji talks about how Lolorito, like, closed an eastern trading route, which, co- which is the reason Little Alamigo is so impoverished. Yeah, like... And it's sort of implied that he did that on purpose. Yeah, he totally did. Like, that's, that's like... It's interesting because you have this 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 situation where the the syndicate is so fucking petty with all of this shit. It's always to inc- like increase their own influence in some way, shape, or form. Like it probably wasn't actually that good for business for Lollarito to take an entire trade route and throw it in the fucking garbage, but it was ultimately good for his interests to starve out his competition, which in this case was Teleji. So, like, you know, it's it's just, like, cruelty on cruelty on cruelty of just, like, people constantly fucking biting each other's shins trying to get the biggest apple on the tree or whatever. So, the arrangements are being made to transport the, like, the sort of hardy and hale domains to Mordona, like the people who are healthy enough to actually start doing work. There's other plans to house everyone else in the quicksand, I believe, for the time being. Yeah, te- temporarily. Uh, while they kind of more slowly get transported to Mordona. And this is where you kind of meet some some adorable little kids in Vesper Bay. Yes, you meet uh, a few of these Doman children and uh they're all like they're, they 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 want to play a little game they're they're basically playing hide and seek though you do get the um the very sad 
detail that um they like learned to play hide and seek a lot because they they were encouraged by everybody to like be able to hide properly from a garlean raid uh which is yeah which sucks yugiri yugiri taught them how to hide properly and you know she she made a game out of it because they're kids but yeah um but yeah so this is an interesting bit it's it's just like a fun set piece but also this is the first bit of the game where you have some meaningful dialogue options. It is. Because a lot of the dialogue options in the past, right, have just have just kind of been the Fallout 4 style of dialogue option, where it kind of says the same thing three times. Yeah, whereas here, the, the Little Doman kids, uh, they are real excited to talk to you. They want to know why is it that you became an adventurer? What is what are adventures all about? Like you know what? How how did you get so strong and all this stuff? And you can answer uh, a bunch of different things. You know, there's joke answers in there. There's more serious answers. You know, you can be reassuring to the kids, or you can like tell them that Mordona is like a shithole. <laughs> like you like you have a lot of options with how you can um talk to these kids and and you can like encourage them and stuff. And they ultimately take away from what you're saying, like, yeah, wow, being an adventurer is really, really cool. We're gonna be adventurers. We're gonna make the Doman Adventurers Guild and we're gonna learn to be ju- just as cool as you and Yugiri. It's cute. Um, yeah, the leader is named Kozan, his father is named Hozan, they like their, their themed names over there in Doma. Apparently. Um, and I, you know, they, they head out, you have, you get them all set up in Mordona, I just want to shout out Slafbjorn. I like Slafbjorn. Slafbjorn's a fucking, he's a real one. Oh yeah, he's awesome. Cause like, he taught, he, he greets, he greets Yugiri and the others, and he's like, hey, listen, as far as I'm concerned, we're all frontier hands out here. We're all working. We're all helping each other. You're more than welcome here. Yeah. We take all kinds. Yeah, he's got no problem. He even, like, stops her at one point. Like, ah, listen, don't call me, like, sir or anything like that. Just call me Slapbjorn. That's my name. That's all you gotta call me by. Like, he's just a cool dude. He's just a cool guy. And you're kind of getting everyone set up here in, in Mordona, um, which is kind of where the Doman storyline ends, Where with, like, they've got this place. It's not... It's obviously not an easy refuge, right? Like, it's not cushy. It's not comfortable. Like, Ulda might be. Or, frankly, Gridania would be. Gridania seems like it's great if the trees like you. And if they don't like you, well, uh, die, I guess. Yeah. But it is a place that will always welcome them and will always need them. And that is... And it's also, like, it's it's a community... Mordona is is in many ways one of the few places in Eorzea right now that feels like a real like tight knit community. Like I don't know, whenever you're in Mordona, right, the mood is just different than any other city states. Uh, especially Ulda. Obvi- obviously, the class stratification in Ulda is very high contrasted. There's literally like the big glowing streets of old Dao with all the fucking jeweled houses or whatever and then you get on the alleyway and there are people dying in there yeah like like the the stratification in old Dao, the like the stratification in all the cities the way that they handle each other and their own problems it's all 
though those problems are barely present in Mordona. Mordona has much more tangible issues like there's giant monsters trying to kill people or we need to adventure out into like these horrible crystal ridden dungeons and get some stuff that we can sell to keep the community going like it's very tight-knit it's a very like close community it's not that big but it's big enough and everybody in it basically knows each other and they all help each other out and it's not necessarily an easy life but it's a life that they've built together and that's really really cool it is a unique place in Eorzea for this reason And it's ultimately, I think, the best place for the Domans to have ended up, even if it's not really great either. This, I I do find the way that the Doman crisis here is handled to be very interesting. Um, Something that, uh, that I think they really wanted to do in ARR and the post-patches of ARRs. They wanted to do a lot of political intrigue. That was a really big thing for the people writing this game. And in ARR proper, I don't think that it was really given the breathing room to develop properly. Like, the bones of it were there, but it wasn't given enough space to breathe and come into its own. Now that the patches are here, they have the space to be able to build that political intrigue, and it ends up going in a lot of very contrasting directions, because you you have... They want to tackle some very heavy themes here, and they're really going to throw their all at it. And in this portion of that endeavor, I think they do pretty well but as we move forward it's gonna get a little shaky the 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 thing is the only venue they really have for any kind of political intrigue is Ulda, as we will see like it's it's basically only Ulda because i mean the pol the the, the government of gridania is a bunch of fucking weird horned immortal stoners who talk to the trees so like I don't really know what you can do there. Connie Senna doesn't seem like she has thoughts about anything, let alone politics. And the politics of Limsa are like a fucking dubstep remix of You Are a Pirate. <laughs> so, like, you really only have one option, ultimately, for that kind of story. Um, but also, Alda has several other problems that they just never particularly deal with in any real way yeah and that's something we'll explore as we get deeper into post arr but i will say that for where we are for just taking this patch on its own at you know complete face value i think that the what they do with the domains and how it establishes the sort of core central issue laying at the heart of old da the syndicate being fucking bad I think it's actually pretty good at, at establishing all that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I understand. Like, it, it's an interesting exploration of Alda. Um, but we don't have any more time for that. We have a Category 5 fish event in progress. We do. We have to deal with this fish. So you you get interrupted from your, like, uh, your, your dome and your, your everyone settling in thing with hey yushtola called big fish is happening so we're gonna talk about the leviathan storyline which means 
we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning of the patch. Yeah, so we're 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 rewinding. We're we're pulling out the fucking uh, not Assassin's Creed, what? The the Prince of Persia knife. We're going we're going back. Yes. So, you start the patch off and basically, you know, Menphilia's like, "Oh boy, we we got some word that uh there are some crystals being robbed i bet it's those lizard guys gotta go take care of that yeah because specifically it's crystals being robbed in thanalan and so of course you say well it's probably the amalgia because they're the guys what live in thanalan who like to seal crystals to summon a big fire dog yes but uh you know to figure out whether or not that's really the case you gotta lay a trap <laughs> you gotta fit you gotta figure out who's really doing all this because you do find out that you know this might be an inside job you know maybe the brass blades are in on this so you you lay a trap where you say okay oh what's his name the the brass blades guy in horizon fufalupa fufalupa so fufalupa you go to him and you're like listen tell all your guys that there's gonna be somebody taking small shipments of crystal with them a a makote miner is gonna be just walking all alone through the wilderness with a big sack of crystals trying to you know sneakily bring stuff in for the for the mining concern and uh it it's just Yustola in a little mining outfit disguise. I call this look her gay little miner's outfit, and she never wears it again, and I think that, that she should wear it again. She should wear it again because it's really cute. Like, it looks great on her, like, little hat and, like, uh, just the little puffy shirt and everything. It's really adorable. So you, you get attacked by, um... A group that is conspicuously all sea wolf rose with blue face tattoos. And immediately you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. Yeah, wait, that, was... that sounds like a guy I know. Yeah. That sounds like guys I know. That's not quite That's not quite who I would have expected to see around here. And indeed, it isn't who you'd expect to see around here. It's, uh, it's people from Reavers. Limsa. It's the Serpent Reavers who are out here stealing crystals from Thanalan, so they're they're up to some shit. If you will remember, towards the very beginning of our podcast, we talked about the the Limsa storyline. The Serpent Reavers are basically a group of enthralled pirates who work directly for the Sahagan and do all of their dirty work. Um, I think they might be the only. Are they the only tribe that uses like human henchmen like regularly? Um. I think that actually might be true. I think the Sahagin might be the only ones who have like a permanent human staff on hand. Because I think I think what happens is that they just fucking sink a pirate ship and then enthrall all of the guys on the pirate ship. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, like, you know, waste not, want not, right? So obviously this mean this can only mean one thing. The co the, the Sahagin are trying to summon Leviathan, which Let's do some math, shall we? Uh-huh. Leviathan is the lord of the world. He has complete control over all of the oceans, including the ability to make gar- truly gargantuan tsunamis. Yeah. Limsa Lamensa. Vil- Vilbrand is an island that is almost entirely coastal. Mm-hmm. Limsa Lamensa is literally a city on the ocean. Yeah, this ain't good. This is very bad. So there's this whole, there's this whole thing. There's this whole, like thing where you you in, go in on this like military operation into this the sapsa spawning grounds 
And I was kind of shocked that they didn't rework this into an actual solo duty. Because this was, this sucked. This was just running through an area and fighting guys. And then sometimes you'd accidentally fight the guys who were already wandering around anyway. And it was just really slow and kind of boring. Yeah, it's a bit of a slog. It's supposed to be, like, from a narrative perspective, it's like you and Yishtola fighting alongside one another. Like, she even, like, says, like, oh, it's been a while since we fought together. You know, I'm excited to to get to do this with you, but she's not really present. You're just kind of by yourself walking through the Sahagan spawning grounds to try and get to the Aetherite. So it's not really like, like, it's supposed to be this military operation where the Maelstrom has like this big diversion going on. And then you're like sneaking in to like get to the, the Aetherite or whatever, but it doesn't really feel like an operation. It's kind of just you by yourself. Like there's no, you know, set pieces around. There's no like visual stuff going on that at least that I saw that really indicated there was anything else other than just you walking in the front door. Um, which is a bit of a shame. I think, yeah, like this, this is a part of the game that could totally do with like, uh, just going back in there and just making this little section, like a little solo duty. So one, one of the big things that causes the scions to like really jump on this immediately, other than the threat of a primal being sown, which is never good, right? It's never a good thing. So Yashola has been spying on the Sahagan elder responsible for the summoning and he's, talking in some very interesting ways he is talking about the gift and the knowledge of eternity he has received the gift and the knowledge of eternity from someone and immediately minfilia is like that's the shit elidibus was talking about what the fuck is going on yes and not only that but the fish also refers to uh the person who told him about this as the emissary so we know elidibus is here and we know that he's trying to teach these fish something about the echo yes and so you you fight to the heart of the saps of spawning grounds where there's a big aetherite with this guy the sahagan priest i like that the sahagan priest just has a big weird hat on i don't know if that's a hat or if it's like a weird outgrowth i think it's like a growth like it looks like a like it's because okay it, it looks like it's just like growing out of his face, but it's also really hard to tell. It's like an entire crab shell growing out of his head. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, so, so you and Yustola, you, you get up there. She's a little winded, but, you know, you manage to, to make your way over to the, uh, the Aetherite. But unfortunately, you are a little bit surrounded. Look, it's fine. Thancred has knife, knife tricks. Yugiri has knife tricks. We're all good. We killed a whole bunch of fish dudes. We do. I, I do, I do want to point out one very, very funny thing from this scene. Is it Merlewib's guns? So, okay, I want to point out Merlewib's, Merlewib's guns and stuff, but I do want to, before we get to Merlewib's appearance i want to talk about thancred for just a brief second because thancred and yugiri show up and they start doing all kinds of cool ninja shit um of course this is the patch that was kind of teasing that ninjas were coming so you know yugiri's doing a bunch of cool moves and all that sort of thing thancred comes in after she gets started and he's like oh all right time to time to get to work and and he has a line that i think is hilarious where he's like oh fuck well i must need save elegance for efficiency he says this 
immediately before doing like a bunch of completely pointless knife tricks and then doing a bunch of backflips and like cartwheels and stabbing people in the fanciest, least efficient way possible. It's efficient. Actually, I think you'll I think you'll find that it's really efficient to do 73 backflips and then kick your knife into somebody's chest. You know, I guess I can't argue with you there. Uh, the science, the science is with uh, with anchored on this one, I suppose. Yeah. Then Merle shows up and she started. She Okay. So obviously we've seen Merle with guns. She's had guns on her person this whole time. It's her favorite thing in the world is guns. The fact that she she just pulls up with the Glock and starts blasting these dudes <laughs> is amazing. It's so good. We gotta like, we gotta talk about this in depth because like <laughs> so you you're rolling up the fish guy is like he's starting the summoning ritual and all this stuff and Merylwub just takes one look at this guy and she goes nope. And just fucking blast him directly in the face with a gun, and he dies. Which causes an or he no he doesn't. An orb pops out of him and says, "Ah, I am I am immortal. I have the gift. You cannot kill me." And then he floats into one of his boys and transmogrifies him into a second one of his body. And so Merlif just shoots him again, <laughs> and then also shoots all of the other Sahagans so he doesn't have a body anymore. Yeah, but of course, she doesn't do that quite fast enough. They do manage to get the ritual off. Leviathan does show up, to which Merlif is basically like, God fucking damn it. I, I really like that Minfilia just tells her, like, can you not stop? That's not gonna, you're not going to be able to fucking do anything. So this yeah, so this orb thing, right? The Sahagan priests soul has has basically become like it, it's able to freely move into other people's bodies and like out of his body if it dies and he he thinks he's fucking invincible jack unfortunately uh leviathan is one hungry boy and when he is summoned he slurps up that soul so that was really all for nothing um the, for the Zahagan priest anyway but leviathan is here and he instantly destroys an entire fleet of ships. Yeah. That, like, that's the, literally the first thing he does. Yeah, that entire distraction force or whatever, literally instantaneously fucking obliterated. And then, instead of pressing the advantage, the fish leaves, and everyone's like, oh, that seems bad. Um, hey, Merowib, what's up with that? And she's like, he's gonna fucking do a tsunami. Yeah, so this has happened before, apparently. You head back to her office and, and she will tell you uh, as we kind of formulate the plan here. So the Sapta spawning grounds are like the, the Sahagan home base, right? It's the Sahagan faction territory. That used to be a town called Halfstone. Shortly after the calamity, the Sahagan summoned Leviathan and he completely drowned that he d utterly destroyed that town and the Sahagan turned it into their spawning grounds. And Merlweb believes that since this is this incarnation of Leviathan is so much stronger than even that one was, that he is planning on doing that to Limsa itself. So we have to stop that. And the answer is two boats. Yeah, so Merlweb's right-hand man, Marshall... I need to talk about Einzar, okay? All right, I want to talk... I want to have an Einzar... 
fucking corner here. I didn't. I I need to bring up. I didn't. I forgot he had speaking lines. I should bring up his uh, his behind the voice actors thing because he does have speaking lines. So let me just do that real quick because Einzar. I love Einzar. Einzar is great. Einzar is awesome. Einzar is also probably Mistbeard. Oh, he is. He is definitely uh, so. So he's. His English voice is Grant George, who's also the English voice of Sid in A Realm Reborn. And apparently, most recently, he was Sigurd in Fire Emblem Engage. So all of our Engage heads out there. I don't know who this boy is. He looks like Krom a little bit, but like gay. And as for his Japanese voice, Shiego Kiyama... Wow, he plays a lot of businessmen. <laughs> he's he's got a he's got a voice for it, certainly. He is he plays mostly businessmen. He is also Ramba Rall in Mobile Suit Gundam The Origins. He plays a lot of and he plays a lot of dudes on Gintama. Most of his roles are Gintama guys, so interesting. But so Einzar one is misspeared. This is this is simply true lore. They wink at it here, but there's a there's a dungeon called Hullbreaker Isle that was also, I think, added in this that uh, confirms that he is basically a Mistbeard. And Mistbeard is like a title. There are many Mistbeards, but he was the last one. And, and in many people's eyes, he was the greatest one. Also, I this might just be me. I, I feel like he and Merle were fucking. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. Like, I, I think that's that, that's that just goes without saying. There's a lot of... Because there's always this coyness when she talks about there's I love the scene at the end of this where she's like ah that Mistbeard guy what a what a grand idea I sure wish I had someone that cool working for me and Einzar like kind of looks off to the side but also Merlwib's looking at him askance like I know exactly what's going on I know exactly who you are and I don't know they just have they just have a vibe you know oh yeah they they got a vibe they they they've known each other for a long time. And I imagine in multiple senses of the word. So Einzar's plan is he's <laughs> he's going to tie two boats together and put a fuck ton of crystals on them to power a bigger version of the elemental converter, which is the thing that Sid used to break through Garuda's windstorm. Yes. Because the problem is you have to fight Leviathan on the open sea. Yeah, pretty much his home turf. Leviathan loves to be on the open sea. So you have to take that potency away from him a little bit. Therefore, the, the elemental converter. There's like a, okay, there's like a whole, and then there's a bit where someone walks in and says, hey, there's a guy who claims to have fought Leviathan over in the Gray Fleet. Maybe he was a member of the company. You see where this is going. Yeah, Merwib's like, listen, this seems like a complete waste of everyone's time, but like we have to build two boats anyway, so I guess go check this out. It's Trakatum. If you want. It's Trakatum again. It's Trakatum. Fooling this poor storm private into doing all his work. And then Look, we we have to talk about this scene because it's one of the weirdest scenes ever. All right, it, it's so far. So for so first off, nice diabetes joke, Koji Fox. Yeah, Leviah Leviabetes is what he calls him. Yeah, g- really, really, really good. Like 2002 humor. This patch was written in 2015, I think. Ugh. But second of all. Yeah, once he sees you, he immediately starts freaking out and crying and apologizing. One of the th- one of the things he said <laughs> was to the storm pride was, "Yeah, all of Leviathan's scales are are fucking as big as my dick, and that's pretty big." <laughs> 
And then he turns to you and he's like groveling on the floor and he's like, please, I'm sorry. I, I was lying. Uh, I have to lie to get women into bed because actually my dick is really small and pathetic. I'm sorry. It's like, I, I don't need to know any of this. We, I'm we leaving. don't need to know your cock size track tomb. Why are you bye, telling us I'm this? I'm going. And you literally just leave. <laughs> You're just like, okay, bye. Like to be this this is literally this is literally a quest that doesn't need to exist. None of this had to happen, but it's but it's very it is very funny. It's a hilarious it's like two minute diversion. This storm private calls him like a fucking lying sack of shit yeah. and like storms off. It's very funny. But enough <laughs> of Trackatum's tiny dick. It's time it's time to fight Leviathan. We're gonna get into this. We're gonna talk about the level 50 trial, the war leader. called that because that's what the boats are called they tied two boats together and they put a big platform on it so you could fight the big fish and they named it the world eater because you got to go eat the lord of the world you know you got to go gotta gobble them up so what to say about this fight right um i think that this has a everything i could say about it it kind of has to do with its ex version like this fight is even for ARR trials, this is like a trivially easy fight. There's only one thing you can fuck up. And people can do it. People can do but it. But it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to do it. Um, so so this whole fight, Leviathan is like off off the, the boat, right? Like he's in the water. And so you're fighting him across this this boat. He will like slam, he will like dive down and slam on the boat to to make everyone slide one way or the other, which doesn't actually do anything unless you take off the bumpers in the EX version. He spawns guys, his tail, like the thing about it is there's there's a quite a few mechanics here, but none of them coalesce into anything. Yeah, not really. So you you got a few different things like um Leviathan will he has like his head, but also his tail. So if you need uh, like a dragoon or uh, like any other sort of martial DPS, you have to go hit the tail instead of the head for like maximum like DPS or whatever. So there's that. And then there's um, uh, Leviathan will spawn. There's like ads that show up. There's like these weird orbs that you have to blow up otherwise they're like mines that'll go off um leviathan spawns these like little 
uh, like pools, these little basically circle AoEs that do damage over time. Um, it's not a particularly difficult fight. Really, the only there is exactly one mechanic in this hard trial that can kill you, and that is at some point Leviathan goes under the water and is going to do a gigantic super tidal wave attack. And you have to, somebody has to go flip a big gigantic switch that turns on the elemental converter to put up a big shield. Um, and if you don't do that, you all die. If you do it too early, you die. If you do it too late, you die. This is the only risk in this entire fight. Um, and then people will, will just press it as soon as it turns on because you know that's usually what you do this i think this is the first time you ever have to interact with anything in a in a boss fight uh certainly certainly at this point there may have been stuff in the past like before things are reworked but this is at least in this version of the game this is the first fight with like an interactable thingy in it yeah i just coming off of the reworked good king mogamog which is like a an actual fight that makes sense now this is like, I, it felt kind of bad to be like, yeah, this is still the same. It's pretty, it's kind of slow and shitty, but also goes too fast and it's just kind of boring. Um, the thing that I like about this fight is the music. You don't get to hear it very much, but he's got two, he's got two tracks. His phase one track is called Wreck of the Seaman. It's a very it's a very cool atmospheric track. There are these big bells. I think these are actually like jingle bells and there's like percussion and stuff. It's just like this sort of eastern-ish song that just kind of plays and it's it's very slow and quiet and cool looking. Meanwhile, the phase 2 theme, which you basically don't get to hear any of cuz the fight goes so fast at that point and it pretty much ends. That is through the maelstrom. So this is another like first big kind of crazy boss track, right? Similar to Titan and Garuda, where this through the Maelstrom is like it's, it's almost a surf rock sh- sea shanty. A little bit, yeah. It's it's except it's not a sea shanty. The sh- the the song is about Leviathan, and it is Leviathan's followers like besieging him for aid right like it's leviathan leviathan save us leviathan leviathan vengeance like that yeah which which is cool like it's a really good track um i think it sets the mood really well uh the problem is of course the fight that it is in is just like kind of mid it's just like it's not bad but it's not really good it ends really quickly and i would i would say i would i'm going to put my foot down i think leviathan's a bad fight i don't think it's a good fight i think it is roughly the same quality as like the 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 four person primals except we're not doing we, we we're not doing that anymore this is an eight person trial yeah this is real content and I feel as though you gotta, you you got like it's just sort of a thing that's like it's one of those untouched bits of error that just feels kind of weird and old and rusty, of like, yeah, it's it's kind of like we're watching Beast Wars for prime cuts right now, right? Uh huh. And I mean the the sort of the main barrier of entry for Beast Wars is that it looks like that, and that's that's what the way I feel about beast wars is how i feel about leviathan right of like well beast wars is kind of ugly 
because it's like mid-90s television CGI, which certainly looks away. Leviathan is like, well, this is like an ARR trial. Like, un- like unaltered ARR trial. Like, completely unaltered, pretty much. And it's just like, well, this is this is just kind of a bunch of shit happening with no real ID- central idea. Yeah, I, I have to wonder. Um, we we weren't able to really do this fight like min eye level or anything like that. Like, it's very difficult to coordinate that for like an eight person trial or whatever. So we we don't typically do that. Um, but I do have to wonder if you were in a position of being able to do this fight as it's like quote unquote intended way of being played. Uh, I, I wonder if it holds up any better if it's not over immediately. Because I, I do feel like a lot of these older fights would benefit from having an eye level cap uh, introduced. I, I think that would actually be very beneficial to a lot of these older fights. Which I know, I know, I know, you don't gotta tell me that's like, I know that that would be bad for anybody who wants to like say grind for tomes or, you know, do, you know, some of the weapon quests, right? But. I, I do think that just backwards applying all of the eye level caps on, on, on these things, I think would help a little bit and make this a little less, you know, over in two seconds. Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the central thing of, like, slamming the, the stage and making you slide around is a concept that will keep coming back over and over again. Um, and... It's it's just kind of interesting. Also, I, I feel like for the for the sea guy, for the Lord of the Whirl, he doesn't have a whole lot of sea based attacks, right? Like he may he slams onto the boat, he makes big bubbles appear, but they're weird bubbles, and then he summons guys. That's what that's all he does. Yeah, it's it's not an especially creative fight in a lot of ways like i think the setting of the fight is very interesting i think the idea of like having to meet him on the open ocean on like a big platform barge is kind of cool but yeah they really don't do nearly as much with it as i think they could have um the ex trial i think is a little bit better about it i think the ex trial is closer to what like they would want that fight to really play like but um it's still a little weak so yeah i think i think i would agree more or less that this is definitely like in the in the bottom tiers of of the fights in these in these patches here that ends the war leader you defeat leviathan he's he's beat back into the sea and of course we have we have this whole thing we have our usual post primal circle jerk right of of the president going thank you so much you're my best friends forever Yugiri compliments Thankard's knife tricks and and Thankard compliments Yugiri's knife tricks and they all kind of they they talk about the rogues guild for the first time which is where Thankard was kind of brought up we do get some some fun Thankard backstory here i think this is the first time we are we are hearing about this where the reason Thankard got into Charlian was because he tried pickpocketing Louisois and Louisois was like damn this kid's pretty cool I'm gonna take it with me yeah literally like just a chance meeting where he tries to tries to scam this old man the old man's like you know what I'm gonna send you to college boy I'm gonna take you I'm gonna take you to college I'm gonna... and so yeah the, he learned all of his knife tricks from the rogues and Yugiri has this thing of like well 
I want to I, I want to give back somehow, and I want to teach your cool rogues my cool epic ninja skills. And Marom's like, fuck yeah. There's also this thing where Yugiri is like, yeah, I've never heard what a primal is, and it's really fucked up that you guys have to deal with this all the time. Yeah, she's she's we don't have this. She's just like a normal person coming into like a land where just gods show up and try to kill everyone all the time, and she's just like, what the fuck? She's like, it's weird that one gods exist, and two you regularly kill them. Like that's kind of crazy, actually, but also pretty cool yeah no she's she's into it even if she's like uh pretty intimidated naturally oh also in this cutscene, like three people all try and get thankred's ass really bad and he's just extremely embarrassed yeah it's very it's very funny <laughs> yeah including minfilia he's like yeah they, they all tell the story it's it's pretty it's pretty funny um but then here's an interesting here's the actual interesting scene of this right because everyone else leaves and we get Yishtola and Merlwib talking in private. Yugiri is also listening in, but that's not really that important. I don't really know why she's there, because the conclusions she comes to after this are nothing. Um, Sorry, Yugiri, but, like, you added nothing to this conversation. But what this conversation is, is kind of a continuation of what Yishtola told Merlwib as during the the titan thing right they even bring this up of like look yashola basically tells Merlwib, you need to understand that primals are not a problem that can be dealt with with like this forever because you hold at least half the blame for it if not more you have constantly been threatening the kobold in the sahagan territory for the kobolds it was breaking diplomatic promises for the sahagan it is taking over their spawning grounds, the shit they need to survive as a people. Um, and Yashol is like, you need to, you, you, we can't keep doing this. This is not a solution. Like, you can keep fighting the Sahagan and the Kobolds, and they're just going to keep summoning Titan and Leviathan over and over and over again because that's the only fucking recourse you have left them. And Morlorb is like, well, you're right. You're right about all of this, but ultimately, what can I do? She she says, like, I am unwilling to just roll over and let them destroy us. Like, she, she has come to the conclusion that, like, if diplomacy will no longer work, then it is, ulti- it is ultimately survival of the fittest. Yeah. And Yishtola just very, very sadly just, like, goes, I understand, but you have to understand where that path leads. Like, you know what happens at the end of this. Yeah, and it's it's a very, like... It's a very interesting conversation because I don't feel like Merwib even necessarily puts that much stock into what she's saying here. Like no. she's saying she's saying it because she knows that that is what she has to do in her position as the fucking pirate president, but also she has doubts. Like she doesn't really believe that she's doing the right thing anymore. You know, she's justifying it to herself by saying like, well, it has to be survival of the fittest in these trying times, but that's kind of just justification to herself. Like, bear in mind, she says that line in what she believes is a completely empty room. She says that to herself. She is trying to convince herself that she's doing the right thing, and it's really not working that well. No, and, like, I have always really loved this aspect of Yashola's character. It's why I really loved liked her from the start. 
of just like Yashtola is not afraid of like she doesn't really give a shit about playing the game of thrones for lack of a better phrase she doesn't care about talking politely to people in power right she will simply walk up and say what her problem is with them she will walk and she and she, the only reason she did this in private is because she didn't want to bring down the mood everyone was so happy after they beat leviathan and she's like i have to talk to merle about this whole you are going to end up doing a genocide and it will destroy you thing but like i can't do that now <laughs> Yeah. We're joking about Thancred's knife tricks. I don't want to bring that up here. Yeah, she she is considerate. However, she is also not going to hold her tongue. And that's what's so fun about Yushtola. That's, that's one of the things that, that's really admirable about her as a character is that she is just like a lady who never holds her tongue in in situations where most people would feel like they have to really like butter up the president or whatever and i think there is a like a read of her character that is like well she does this because she she's fucking badass and doesn't respect anyone but later we will see what yishtola talks how yishtola talks to people she doesn't respect it is not like this she doesn't even really give those people any sort of time of day and mostly just like utterly roasts them to death right yeah the when she talks to someone like this as like very frankly like you are being a shit heel and here's why that's the sign of utmost respect from yashola that means she's like i'm going to talk to you like my equal i'm not gonna fucking butter i'm not gonna fucking like sugarcoat it for you exactly here's what's going on here's what i think she's she is a character who like if she's comfortable with you she's going to speak her mind 100 percent of the time and if she's uncomfortable with you she's going to speak her mind 200 percent of the time yeah she's just going to call you a fucking dipshit and tell you to fuck off pretty much yes like you are not worth if you if you are not worth her time she will let you know that and it will be the most devastating verbal lashing anyone has ever received we will we will talk about a scene in the future in the far future, there is someone who who uh, functionally is murdered verbally by Yishtola. Yes, yes, it's um, it's it's one of the best scenes in the whole game, but that's uh, that's quite a while. But yeah, like Yishtola walks away, and even Merle is like, like when she's alone, she's like, I don't fuck, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if like if survival of the fittest is the only option. And, y- and Yugiri just says some dumb bullshit about man. People will do anything. It's like. F- Fuck, lady. That's true. Yeah, like, damn. Great. You you got him. You really got him on this one. I don't really know why she was, like, eavesdropping or anything, or, like, why she was really present. Maybe she had something more interesting to say in Japanese, because, you know, th- this, this game does have a thing with dub titles, where the Japanese track is often says some pretty different stuff compared to the English one. But Asin says this is almost... It's almost filler dialogue to me. It's like, what What are you even talking about right now? She's like, are we really, are we domans so different? We will do anything to, to survive. It's like, what? You're not summoning dragons to drown people? The, the situations are different. It's it's a weird, it's a weird inclusion in this, in this scene. I don't really think she needed to be there. Anyway, she goes to, she goes to hang out with the coolest dudes in Limsa Lamensa, the Rogues Guild. Uh, we get a br- we get just a very very brief glimpse of Captain Jack with an E, and 
we will talk about the rogues guild at some point because because the rogues were added mid arr like they were added in the patches it is a much more robust and entertaining class quest than most of them and like the way they talk is amazing oh yes i i i plan on uh exploring that actually because i i feel like i feel like yisu is the kind of girl who's gonna who's gonna see all these cool and sick knife tricks and she's gonna be like damn i want in on this they they basically talk in thieves can't for the most part like a like a like a version of thieves can't um and I love the bit where Jack like accidentally flirts with with Yugiri. He's like, "Say, how about we step into somewhere more private and discuss things?" And he laughs and he goes, "Like, wait, that came out way different than I meant it. Hold on, not like that. I <laughs> no, wait, it's sorry, no, sorry. Hang on, hold on. Yeah, hold on, wait a minute. Uh, it's it's pretty good. I'm not that guy. I, uh, but yeah, so that's." basically the end here there's there's two more things one of them is just to let is evil sure yeah, whatever well, he, he he's he's plotting he's scheming he's he's trying to do something with revolution apparently whatever yeah whatever and then of course you you head back to the rising stones you pray return and the, the more important thing is minfilia minfilia is reflecting on all of this of like this whole this whole business with Leviathan and the Echo and and the 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 orbs and whatnot, because she's like clearly this gift is the Echo. Elidibus has given this gave this Sahagan priest the Echo, but the shit he was able to do is like what the Asians can do. Like they are they are souls without physical form that can inhabit in phys- physical bodies right like that's what an, a- an Asian is a, is not a corporeal being but because of this series of events where this this sahagan soul was absorbed by leviathan she realizes that like it is possible to kill an Asian. like they are not they are not actually immortal yeah she she specifically uses the language she says they're immortal but they're not invulnerable like they can live forever, but only if they aren't like double killed. Yeah, because I mean, look, we hit La Habrea with something that should definitely have killed any any normal darkness guy, but like he's fine apparently. Uh, he's just like mad about it, so like fuck. But yeah, so there's that. Then there's this troubling thing of like, well, he possessed another guy. And, like, turned his body into, his, like, a copy of his body. And she's like, can the fucking Echo do that? What do I not know about? I thought I knew, kind of knew what the Echo was and how it worked. Because, like, she says that it is it is pushing into the boundary of another person's soul, right? That's how you're getting these flashbacks. You're, like, kind of reading their soul. But if you can do that, then the logical conclusion is... You can exert your influence over other people's souls, which is what Lahabrea did to Thancred. Exactly, exactly. And this is this is both a very promising but also very troubling series of implications that she really has to sit down and think about. But of course, before she gets the opportunity to do that, we get one very last detail as the patch concludes here, which is Yurianje busts down the door and is like, hey. The students about DZ and exploded. So yeah, we we probably we could have guessed that. Elidibus said something about that, and then we lost all contact with them. Yeah, their island's gone. It's just gone. 
Yeah, apparently some spell or magic or ether event uh, similar to Ultima happened, and the island is just gone, out of here. Yeah, there is one more thing she talks about that is separate from the, the rest of that Echo thing. She talks about how there are these enduring myths through many cultures of souls who reincarnate in times of great darkness to fight against it. And she theorizes, like, could that be the Echo? Is that what they're talking about? And it's just an interesting detail to keep in mind. But yeah, that is the end of the patch. Very meaty patch. Very much meatier patch than the first one. Oh, yes. Very, very meaty. I think this is like, the, between the two, obviously, this is this is a much stronger patch. I think that it gets way more into stuff. It's, it's still a lot of setup, but we're actually starting to get the ball rolling on a lot of things. We're getting introduced to threads that will come up throughout the course of the game. Like, it's it's a meaty patch, and despite a fairly, you know, mid-to-let-down kind of trial in it, I think that overall, this is a pretty solid uh, chunk of content. So before we head into the spoilers, I mean, we've got some business to take care of. That's right. Number one, Patreon. You're on Patreon at patreon.com slash crystalradioworks, where you can get all kinds of... of, of uh bene- benefits and, and perks both for this show and our sister show talk cycles which is a once a month once a monthly animation podcast that's right and those perks and benefits are the following if you decide you want to pledge one dollar to us you want to be a heart survivor uh you get an archive of all of the uh content that we've done up to this point on the patreon and you get to do uh you get to participate in topic polls for which show we cover on talk cycles for the month uh at three dollars our warriors of crystal here uh that's uh all of the previous but as well we're going to get any of the bonus content we do for final fantasy 14 uh voting on any polls that we do uh, including for like what sort of bonus stuff we should be looking into and uh you get a a shout out in every episode and at eight dollars a month you also as a trusted companion uh you get to participate in uh raid nights and um you know party finder content and other sort of community events that we're we're going to be setting up here in uh in the near future once we have six other people in that tier raid nights can begin because obviously you need a full party for that right like that's that's kind of the, the point and most high level content is eight people most of it yeah there's some exceptions to that but you know um and of course three and eight dollar patrons get their names read at the end of every episode yeah so why don't we get those lovely shout outs going thank you very much to the following argyle funk brand new today thank you argyle dan big challenges silva becky scott fairley mabel mabel imogen q Verdigree, Ashley, Casey Cosmos, Emma Lynn, Enrique Robledo Aruncio, Garrett Johnson, Haley Moreland, I Beauregard, Jack Onuro, Jennifer Jones, Kaylee, Luisa, Mia Berg, Michael Steinert, Rockadot, Sid Vesper, Sir, Sir Sheepslot, TCO, Tobu, Trisha Montez, Yusuf Gurch, and Amy Tess Gerges. Thank you very much. Thank you for all your continued support. 
But that is going to do it for us for uh, for the first half of this episode. Now, if you're staying current, then uh, we'll see you next time. But if you want to talk about some spoiler content, we'll see you on the other side. So, I want to start with the contrast in this patch between Ulda and Limsa Limensa, all right? I think it's important. So, both of these cities, their problems are put on the forefront in this patch. Ulda has this extremely, like, stratified class system, like, incredibly fucking, like, huge gap between high, high and low class, as well as this, like the system of government that only rewards the rich and is, is, is run by, by very self-interested people. Midlands and Lamensa, obviously I think there's like, when you look at it, right? If you just look at the dialogue, you think Limsa Lamensa is the most racist one. Cause they use all the funny slurs, but ultimately what, what obviously Merle does like, does like to say the slurs, right? She, she loves it. Oh, she loves saying this. She said she them so many times in this patch, even. But ultimately what Limsa Lamenta's deal is, is that they are vying for territory and they are unwilling to, like, negotiate with anyone, right? They are unwilling to sort of, as, as Merwib said, the only option is survival of the fittest. Only one of these gets the time to advance and be solved i think the game thinks that both of them do yeah that's the thing i think the the game oh you know what i don't even think that's true because here's the thing all right so just just to just to get ahead of it Ulda stops being relevant at all after 4.1 like that's it you're we're done not even in the endwalker role quests because Ulda and alamigo are combined it's literally just all alamigo it's just about Alamigo. You don't go to Ulda. <laughs> Ulda has sort of ceased to be relevant in a lot of ways. I think that the game kind of... The writing has sort of skewed away from it. I feel like they, they, they feel like they've spent too much time in Ulda as it is, and they've sort of, like, semi-solved a lot of the issues, but not really. But they haven't. Here's what... The, right, here's the problem with Ulda. The problem is very clear, and it is that they need to get the monetarists out. They need to overhaul their system of government. And obviously, I know what the real problem is, but this this, we're, this is a game that is very much squarely in the, like, optimistic neoliberal kind of space. And it dabbles in other stuff. It dabbles in things like reform and and communes like the Crystarium and, and alternate power structures like in Thavnir, right? But for the most part, it is very much liberal politics, right? Yeah, yeah. They're not really, like, you know, revolution isn't really looked at as, like, a particularly, like, hugely positive thing in the light of, of the game. And Stormblood, we, you know, gets into it a bit. And I think that... It's 
Uh, God, Stormblood gets really messy, gets real messy with it. There's a lot of messy things about Revolution and Stormblood, but with Ulda, and I think it's interesting seeing how Lolorito is characterized in this patch and in a lot of the ARR content, as opposed to how he is characterized going forward. Because, you know, obviously we like to joke that there's one guy who loves Lolorito so much and keeps putting him in the game, but like... It kind of feels like that because Lolorito here is this brutal businessman who cares only for profit and will happily turn away any and all refugees. He is spiteful. He is greedy. He is ambitious, right? Yeah, he's he's presented as one of the main villains of Heavensward in the Heavensward trailer. To go from that to Lolorito is a wise leader and you should learn how to be a better leader from him, Nanamo. What? It's crazy. It's cr- the fucking turnaround on that. Like, who decided? Like, cause, cause it's so it's so weird because you spend so much time with Nanamo where she talks and talks and talks about like her whole personal character arc is built around the fact that she wants to get rid of the Sultanate and she wants to get rid of the of of the Syndicate. She wants to get rid of both of it. She doesn't think either are good. She doesn't want to be a monarch and she doesn't think that a bunch of rich pieces of shit should decide anything either she thinks that old should be a republic and she is like preparing to do that to basically abdicate the throne and make that happen she gets assassinated for that but then all right so like to we will talk about Teleji's whole deal shortly. He he's an entire other bag of worms, frankly. Oh god, he's so his situation's so fucked. But the fact that Lolorito, who did not he is not the one who ran this planet, but he certainly opportunistically jumped on it. The fact that Lolorito is not punished at all for that and in fact, is a frequent his company is a frequent collaborator in Stormblood, specifically through gargantuan asshole Hancock. Um, it's baffling, like the the and like ultimately, Ulda stops being relevant when Raoban leaves because who is the heart of the Ulda storyline? Who is the only character who has any kind of like moral center, right? Other than Nanamo, it's Raoban. It's fucking Raoban. And once Raban says, I don't want to be on the syndicate, I don't want to, you know, I love Nanamo and I love Olda, but ultimately my heart belongs to Alamigo and I want to go help there, then you have no reason to really go back to Olda. Yeah. And they don't. They just don't. They just never go back to it. And these pro, like, there's this whole thing where actually it's good that we're supporting that, that all of the Alamegans get to, to mine in the salt mines that are being sponsored, the, the fucking East Aldernod Trading Company's salt mines. Or no, I think that's the fucking Manderville salt mines, never mind. Which are still there. He's still an old dog guy. But like, it, the point stands that like, you get into this weird, like, almost libertarian view of the self-made man. When, like, as I said, all of these guys are just the CEOs of companies, and I'm sure most of them did not found these companies, right? 
Ulda is a very old city, and I'm sure a lot of these trading companies and bazaars and entertainment complexes are also quite old. Yeah, I don't know. It's the the thing is, you really you run into this issue where you have like Ulda is positioned as a society that needs to be reformed and needs to be reworked, and at some point. In writing the game, I feel like they felt that they didn't have enough time to devote to resolving that plot. I don't feel like they 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 felt like they had the time to resolve that plot and also keep all of the conveniences that they needed for future storylines. So they just went and they said, actually, never mind. Ulda is a perfectly good society after all. Everything is fine. And fix anything. All of the huge class gaps and the refugee problems are still there. Meanwhile, and I say that you would think, oh, well, they didn't go back to Ulda because the story had moved on from the city to that point. Shadowbringers 5.4 is literally just entirely about Merlewib and Limsa Lamensa dealing with the fucking shit. And so is the role quests in Endwalker. Exactly. Like, Limsa actually gets to have kind of a resolution to its problems, which is interesting because a lot of its problems aren't really clearly, clearly established until quite later in the game. Because, of course, this portion of the game that we're on right now is very old off focus. Limsa doesn't really get the chance to explore its own issues, and it's got plenty of them. You know, the pirates are like a big issue they're constantly spitting in the face of the government and the government feels very powerless to do anything about that because the pirates also bring in a huge portion of their economy through spoils and plunder and you know the pirates feel like they're being restricted because they can't spoil and plunder like anyone on the alliance anymore it's it's like a whole thing and as the game goes on, you know, it starts to become more and more obvious that this mode of governance isn't viable, uh, especially as, you know, Garlemald gets beaten back into its little corner and there's less Garlean trade for them to raid now. Um, in addition, you know, you also have the whole thing with the tribes on Vilbrand who are like constantly at war with Limsa because Limsa needs to plunder and expand. So, you know, these are all colossal issues with the way that Limsa runs itself. And, you know, instead of just basically heel turning at some point and saying, oh, well, actually, you know, the pirates are fine. Everything's good. Don't worry about it. The game confronts it and is like, no, actually, we need to fix these problems. We need to reform this government and we need to get them to stop constantly being at war with all of their neighbors. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, once, once again, the solution is we'll, we'll make some, we'll, we'll redraw the contracts and, and promise to do better, which is like obviously not the perfect thing. But for this game, it's very good. And also that scene contains... Merlewib throwing her gun down in front of the fucking uh, kobold leader and just set, telling him, listen, if shooting me in the face, if killing me will fix this, then do it. Just shoot me. And she means it. The gun is loaded. It's She really, truly means it. Yeah. And I don't know. That's hard as fuck. Merlewib 
is infinitely more respectable because of that scene. Because like, yeah, she's like throws it and is like, look, listen to me. If me dying will fix what's what's wrong between us, then I want you to do it. Yeah, like, listen, Limps has got issues. It is a military despotism with, like, a single absolute ruler, basically. But what if the military despot was cool? Yeah, but what if the military despot was cool? And and that's Merylweb. So, but, like, I mean, but, like, and that's, and it's, it's a similar thing of, like, I don't know, the fact that Limsa gets this chance to confront the fucking demons at the heart of it, right? To confront the fucking baggage, Twice even, because guess what the role quests are about? It's about the Sahagin. So you get you get both of them. You get everything. You get Limsa fully grappling with what it means to share this island with these people. Olda doesn't get shit. Gridania, does, Gridania might as well not exist, frankly. Yeah, Gridania basically gets no attention ever. And I think that's mostly because, again, and we've said this before, it's like, what do you do to solve the problem they've written themselves into here which is like because gridania is a city that has all of its high level decision making made by a bunch of like people who go ask the trees if it's okay to do something the only logical conclusion from that is for them to stop asking the trees for permission for things but like they can't really do that because the elementals are like crazy powerful it's just sort of a whole it's 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 a they've written themselves into a real corner with gridania and i don't blame them for not wanting to touch it yeah i mean for 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 this game them them delving into political intrigue is always a a, a basically a coin flip between this is actually pretty interesting and kind of good to what are you doing please stop uh they've been landing on the former a lot more lately which i'm glad for but boy howdy they uh stormblood had a had a hard time with those coin flips yeah it really did and honestly these patches also have a hard time with those coin flips so that's that's coming up that's coming up the other thing i wanted to talk about with this this spoiler zone is the the conversation Menphilia has with you at the end where she talks about some things that will like be important later of like yeah that thing she says about certain souls reincarnating in times of great crisis that is just true that is true about a zim soul when we have an example of this we have an actual example of a past incarnation of a zim other than the original right in the four lords uh trial series in stormblood there is a lot of talk about tenzin the 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 human who befriended all of these all of these sort of demigod animals right he is all but confirmed to be an a, a, a shard of a zem down to like when you're fighting suzaku she is talking about she is talking to you as if you are tenzin all of her dialogue is is aimed at tenzin as if she and it, it's not just that she's mad with grief or whatever it's that she is seeing tenzin's soul somewhere in you she's seeing the same thing right and they they constantly talk about how you are like tenzin and he he sacrifices life to seal away this this great evil. I forget what it was called. So it's a horse, though. I remember that it's a horse. Um, but like that is that is a true fact about Final Fan about the world of Final Fantasy XIV. I'm interested in in what you think of that being seeded so early on. 
I think it's very interesting. Like I, one of the, one of the things that I find generally so good about the writing in 14 is that things get seeded so incredibly early. Like the storyline of, you know, ARR through to end Walker. That's, that is one sort of complete contiguous storyline. And what I find so interesting about it is that you have this density um, but a density where the people writing it had an outline of how they wanted their plot to go basically from day one. Now, they didn't know all the details, but we do know that even from the onset of 1.0, they had generally a path that they wanted the game to take. And it gives it gives the players such a like cool experience where you're doing something that you feel like is this little one-off or like a side thing. It doesn't seem that important at the time. You know, somebody throws something out in a conversation that sounds like it could be deep, but you don't really have any context for it. And then like three years later, you know, in like 10 patches, it comes back and is like this really important thing. And I think that is a strength of the writing of the game. I've I've heard people criticize this as a weakness, but I, I feel it's a strength. I think that the ability for the conversations and the things brought up in these early parts of the game, the fact that there these seeds they grow into so many like disparate plot lines that you can pull back and and follow all the way back to uh, to the beginning of the game. I think is really fantastic. I, I think it works out great. I think that it like it adds a feeling of a journey of like a, a like an actual amount of time passing of feeling like you are learning things with the characters um and i think that's really cool yeah similar to that uh the this thing that elidibus is doing with sahagan this is his mo we learned this that this is what he does what he does is he will give people the echo and he will tr- he he basically tries to make warriors of light to like alter the fate of these reflections we see him doing this in 5.2 and 5.3 by flashing the final days and awakening every anyone and everyone who has that within them right yeah he's he is like, i i talked last time about how elidibus already seems so like well painted as compared to like laha brea being fucking skeletor <laughs> yeah where where elidibus actually has a lot more things going on as a character and as a villain and so that that continues on here where it's like yeah this is what he does and we will continue to to re- re- revisit this with him over and over again um and yeah like the this whole thing of like yeah there are there are there are certain souls who will who will reappear when darkness is rising right you know the the call of azim is wherever there is trouble they will they will they will arrive to help with their friends right they will they will call upon their friends to help yeah and it's it's such a good like sort of thematic through line i think it's a very like power of friendship kind of thing but honestly i always find that sort of thing compelling personally uh anything else you wanted to bring up here no i would say that about covers it for us especially considering we're about to hit the two hour mark (laughs) i want to say one more thing uh 
If you want to play a good version of the Leviathan of the Leviathan fight, just do Eden Five. Oh yeah, E Five E Five is awesome. E Five is great. I think it's Eden Five. Is even is Eden Four Eden Five? That's Leviathan. I think it's Eden Four actually. Anyway, do Eden Four because yeah, rules. or just just do all of Eden. Really, just just go play that. It's awesome. It's really cool. Blinding Indigo is a fucking all time banger. Obviously, obviously. He actually has water based attacks in that one. Yeah. Yeah, but that'll that'll be it. So until then, I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we will see you in the fields of Eorzea, adventurers.